I want you to imagine with me this morning that you are planning a trip to Europe. How many of you would like to go to Europe? Wow, that's great. I like it. You're planning a trip to go to Europe, and you, you get your family all assembled, and you, uh, you head to SeaTac, and you walk up to the counter at the airport, and the agent needs to confirm your identity. And as she looks you in the eye, she says, Passport, please. And you know what every man does. He looks at his wife as if she's the holder of the passport. And she says, I don't know, honey. I thought you had it. And long story short, um, you have forgotten your passports. Here's the bottom line. You will not be traveling on this particular day. I suppose you might call this uh, uh, an identity crisis of epic proportions. Well, the title of the message this morning is The Evangelical Identity Crisis. And this, this title of the message is really dripping with irony because there is one kind of a person in this world who should not have any problem whatsoever with his or her identity, namely the person who has placed his or her faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. There should be no problems with identity. Scripture tells us this, that we are complete in Christ. That is our identity. We have everything we need in Christ. Scripture says that we have the full measure of Christ. We have been filled with Christ, who is fully God, fully man, fully sovereign. Yet... Yet, despite the clear teaching in the Word of God, there is an ongoing identity crisis in the church today. I believe that somewhere along the way, there are many evangelicals who have simply lost their way. They have strayed off the path, as it were. Many evangelicals have forgotten that they are complete in Christ. They have basically forgotten their identity altogether. I want to provide you some symptoms of what I'm calling the evangelical identity crisis by way of introduction. First of all, I think you would agree with me that we live in an age of rampant, unconfessed sin. Pick up the newspaper, log on to Facebook, read on the Internet. You will see in any magazine, any newspaper, anywhere online, not to mention your personal experience, that we live in, in an age of unprecedented and rampant, unconfessed sin. When people do admit their sin, the experience for me has been this. They may admit it. They, they may even claim to repent of it, but some people actually, at the end of the day, refuse to turn from their sins. There is a reckless disregard I've found for the absolute lordship of the Lord Jesus Christ and the holiness of Almighty God. Simply put, in large measure, we have forgotten who we are in Christ. That is the evangelical identity crisis. People flock to the latest seminar to, to bolster their sense of self-worth. Other people seek advice from the so-called uh, self-help gurus, authors who, who borrow practices from the secular marketplace and Eastern religion and practices like self-actualization, visualization, etc. Unsatisfied with their lot in life, some people run to the latest televangelists to find the new formula for success. 
Other people turn to psychology, philosophy, sociology, you name it. Scores of people, especially in America, turn to personalities on television like Oprah or Dr. Phil, assuming that Oprah or Dr. Phil will have the answers to their deepest questions. One thing that especially concerns me is evangelicals in droves are purchasing books that give Christ lip service but fail to promote the birthright that every believer in the Lord Jesus Christ enjoys. Walk into a typical Christian bookstore, and what do you find? I very rarely these days even walk into Christian bookstores because I can never find the section on theology. I can tell you how many times I've walked into a Christian bookstore and I ask where the section is on theology, and the look I am given is, you got to be kidding me, because theology, they say, doesn't sell. It's not popular. Simply put, many people have failed to grasp who they are in Christ. They have a greater interest in self-worth than the worth of a mighty, majestic, and sovereign God. And so here's the question I want to pose this morning. This is a day, a special day when several people will enter the waters of baptism. I have written this sermon as a special day that we can celebrate together. And the question is this, exactly who are we as Christ followers? As people who are complete in Christ, exactly what is our identity in Christ? So before we celebrate and have a chance to see eight people enter the waters of baptism, I want to invite you to turn with me to the book of Colossians. Once again, we will leave our study in the Gospel of John and study just today the book of Colossians and most notably chapter 2. And we will look in specific today at verse 12, but in order to grasp the context, I want to invite you to read with me verses 8 through 12, and also invite you to stand with me for the reading of God's Word. Colossians chapter 2, verses 8 through 12. Paul says, See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. For in him, that is Christ, the, the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. And you have been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority. In him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. We join me in a word of prayer. Father, thank you for this special day. Uh, we look forward to seeing Eight people enter the waters of baptism, an important step of obedience uh, for these individuals. As we just prayed a few moments ago, I pray that it would be a special day, not only for these baptismal candidates, but for each person in attendance today. God, I pray if there's anyone here who has not yet surrendered uh, the reins of their heart to, to you, the God of this universe, and your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, that today would be the day of salvation that they would see a, a visual reminder of what salvation is all about as their family member enters the waters of baptism. God, I pray that you'd help us to reckon with what we're calling the evangelical identity crisis, that we would see who, in fact, we are 
in Christ, that you would receive all the glory on this special day. And it's your son's worthy name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. I want to make a quick note before we look at two very important components of this evangelical identity crisis. A quick comment about theology. Let me just say this about theology, that when theology, when theology begins to shrivel, it is always replaced with the trivial. When theology begins to disappear from the pews, when theology begins to be marginalized in the local church, it will always be replaced with trivial things. And when the trivial prevails in the local church, the local church begins to erode. The local church begins to decay. But I want you to understand something this morning, that throughout church history, God has always had and God will always have a godly remnant. God will build his church and the word of God tells us this, the gates of hell will not prevail against it. However, churches that capitulate and compromise the truth, churches that capitulate and and compromise the, the strong theological moorings that guide and support the structure of the church, if we lose that, we will soon resemble most of the churches, the cathedrals in Europe now that are for the most part simply museums for people to pay a fee, walk through, and gaze at the amazing architecture. Why has this happened in Europe? What has happened at the cathedrals? Why is it that nearly every cathedral I went in, when I went to Germany and when I went to uh, the Republic of Belarus, why are these, these churches now museums? The simple answer is because theology was neglected and placed on the back burner somewhere in her history. I want you to remember this morning that nothing is more practical than theology. See, Christ's followers have, as I've already mentioned, a very distinctive identity. And I want you to notice two very important aspects of your identity today if you are indeed a Christ follower. If you are here today as a guest and you're just investigating the claims of historic Christianity, these are two pillars, these are two two categories, truths that could be true of you today. As you walk away from Christ's fellowship. Notice first in Colossians chapter 2 verse 12. Paul says, having been buried with him in baptism. That's the first reality I want you to see that we were buried with Christ in baptism. We were buried with Christ in baptism. And I want to look briefly at the meaning of that phrase. It's a phrase that might not make sense at first glance. What's it mean when Paul says, we were buried with Christ in baptism? That word buried comes from a Greek term that simply means to bury together or to identify with Christ in his death. Hold your finger in Colossians chapter 2, if you would, and turn with me to Romans chapter 6. And Paul articulates this in a vivid way in Romans chapter 6, verse 4. Romans 6, verse 4. Notice again, this will be familiar to you. He said, we were, that is past tense, we were buried, therefore, with him. 
by baptism into his death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. And so really what Paul is referring to in Colossians 2 and Romans chapter 6 is this, to be buried with Christ is to be united with Christ. To be, to be buried with Christ is to be united with Christ. When each of the baptismal candidates enters the waters of baptism and their head goes below the water, that is a symbol of what took place on the day that they receive salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. That is to say, they were united with Christ. One writer says, quote, Apart from union with Christ, we cannot view past, present, or future with anything but dismay and Christless dread. And what I'm trying to convey this morning is this, is that it is imperative that you walk away today knowing, like these friends and family members that are being baptized as a visual reminder of the salvation that they received in Christ, that you too walk away knowing that you are united with Christ, that you have been buried with Christ in baptism. In Romans chapter 6, move, move to verse 3. Romans chapter 6, verse 3. And notice what Paul says. He says, Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? And that is the second and all-important point. We are not only buried with Jesus in baptism, we also see that we have been baptized into his death. That is to say, we are in Christ. And you'll see that phrase, we are in Christ. You are in Christ throughout the pages of the New Testament. When you see it, remember this. It means, I have been united with Christ. I have been buried with Christ in baptism. In Romans 8, verse 1, Paul gives us this reassurance. He says, there is therefore no condemnation. That comes from the Greek word for judgment. There is no judgment for anyone who is in Christ. In 2 Corinthians 5, Paul says it this way. Therefore, if anyone is, guess, in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. The new has come. Why baptism? Think about this. We, we are a cultured people, are we not? Will anyone agree with me on that? We kind of got it all together, don't we? Weird. I'm the only one that thinks that. Someone raise your hand. We're a cultured people. We, we're, thank you. So here we are. In a few minutes, we're going to have eight people walk into this little mini swimming pool. And I'm going to dip their head under the water and raise them back up. And so you ask, why baptism, more particularly, why baptism by immersion? Why not sprinkling? Why not pouring? Well, the word baptism comes from the Greek word baptizo, and here's what it means. It's really, really profound. It means to dip. It means to dip. And so to be baptized literally means to, to dip. It's like this. If I had a, a, a solution of water and I put red food coloring in that water, and I took my T-shirt, and I dipped my T-shirt in that water, what's going to happen? My wife's going to be really upset, right? 
because now I'm going to have a red t-shirt and the only thing I'm going to use it for is mowing the lawn, right? I can't wear it to work. I can't wear it to the mall. I can't wear it anywhere. It's, it's totally different. That white t-shirt has been dipped. It comes out something entirely different. It becomes united, as it were, with a different environment. And when, when that t-shirt is united with a different environment, it comes out totally different. That's what happened to these baptismal candidates. When they were buried with Christ in baptism, something very special happened. They were united with Christ. Martin Lloyd-Jones says it well. He says, So it is true to say of us that as a man when he dies and is buried has entirely finished with this realm and life to which we live. So when we were buried with Christ, it is the final proof of the fact that we have finished the reign and the realm and the rule and the power of sin. You enter a totally different environment. Now you are one who has been buried with Christ in baptism. This is precisely what is portrayed when each person will be baptized in the water today. When a baptismal candidate is dipped or baptized in the water, this action is a vivid portrait. And this is what I tell every baptismal candidate. This is a picture. This is a photograph. This is a portrait of what happened when you became a Christian, when you trusted Christ for your salvation, when they were buried with Jesus in baptism. You see, every person who trusts Christ and his completed work on the cross is buried with him in death. I want to share with you several points of application and, and make this truth and this reality come alive, Lord willing, in your hearts and minds. The first thing I want you to see is this, is that since you are no longer under the reign of sin, and this is applying to those of you who are in Christ. If you say, I'm a Christ follower, I'm a Christian, since you are no longer under the reign of sin, this tyrant, namely sin's reign, no longer controls your life. Think about that. Because you have been buried with Christ in baptism. You are no longer under the reign of sin. And consequently, this tyrant, this monster, the rule and the reign of sin, no longer controls your life. Now, some of you have, will have a hard time remembering this. Some of you are older, much older than the rest of us. But remember this. There was a time in your life before you were a follower of Jesus Christ, that you were ruled by sin. That you, you didn't have any choice but to do one thing, sin. The rule of sin dominated you. The rule of sin dictated you. You had no power whatsoever. You were under the rule, rulership of sin. You were under the dictatorship of sin. Some of you will remember when Saddam Hussein ruled the little country of Iraq. He controlled people. He ruled people with an iron fist. The people in that land were under the reign of a brutal, evil dictator. But there is a day, and many of you remember this, when they found Saddam Hussein in that spider hole. And they dragged him out of that hole and he was arrested. He was tried for his crimes, his many, many crimes. 
And he was eventually sent to the gallows for his crimes. No longer would he rule and reign over the people of Iraq. Saddam Hussein was gone forever. So too is it also with the believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. The reign of sin has been defeated. This brutal tyrant no longer has this death grip on your life. Number two. If you are a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ, like all of these baptismal candidates are, remember this, since you are no longer under the reign of sin, you are no longer a slave to sin. I had a friend of mine tell me once, I don't like that word slave. The Bible says I'm a a slave of the Lord Jesus Christ. I don't like it. And I said to him, get used to it. Because you're either a slave to Jesus or you're a slave to sin. If you're here today and you have never trusted Christ, the Bible tells you, personal experience tells you that you are a slave to sin. Jesus said in John eight thirty four, Truly, truly, I tell you that everyone who commits sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. But here's the good news. And this is the good news that that each of the baptismal candidates has embraced and enjoy today. That if the Son sets you free, you are free indeed. You see, if you're a, a, a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, you are no longer a slave to sin. Now you have the ability to worship God. Now you have the ability to serve God. Now you have a new inclination to do good for the glory of God. One second before you believed in Jesus, you had no ability to worship God. You had no ability to do good to the glory of God. You had no ability or inclination to serve people for God's glory. And so what a delight, what a joy it is for me to be able to participate in this very significant piece of each of the eight persons' spiritual history. To baptize them and so they can tell the world, so they can tell their church family, so they can tell their immediate families, I am a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. I am no longer a slave to sin. Number three, if you are a follower of Jesus, since you are no longer under the reign of sin, you are under a new domain. You are under a new domain, namely the reign of grace. You see, in the world, we don't talk much like this anymore, but there, there are two realms. There is the, the realm of sin and there is the realm of grace. If you are in the realm of sin, as I've already indicated, you are trapped by sin. You are annihilated by sin. Sin destroys your any kind of affection that you would have for God or the people of God or to do good for the glory of God. But if you are in the realm of grace, you have new inclinations. You have new desires. You have new abilities. Scripture says it like this in Romans 6 verse 14. For sin will have no dominion over you since you are not under law but under grace. You are under grace. And so, if you were a professing believer this morning, you have a very, very unique identity. You have been, and never forget this, you have been buried with 
Christ in baptism. Remember this, when each of the boys and girls and and, uh, two of the gentlemen, when their heads hit the water and the water splashes, remember, that is a, a visual portrait of what happened when that individual was buried with Christ in baptism. Sometimes I like to tease, especially children, I like to tease children. What happens if I don't bring you back up? And sometimes the eyes get about that big. What? You would do that? No, I'd never do that. But aren't you glad that's not the end of the story? Can you imagine if we were buried with Christ in baptism? Gurgle, gurgle, right? That's not the end of the story. The second thing I want you to see is that you were raised with Christ. Back to Colossians chapter 2, verse 12. Having been buried with Him, that is, having been buried with Christ in baptism, in which you were also, look at it, raised with Him. You were raised with Him. Once again, Romans 6 says, We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised by the, raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. Verse 5 says, For if we have been united with him, and we've learned about that, when we're baptized with Christ, we are united with Christ. If you are united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. With your Bible open, I want to have you look with me at the word in verse 12. It's the little word raised. Raised with Him. That word raised comes from a Greek word that means to raise together. It means to raise from mortal death to a new life in the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul continues to articulate the meaning of this. He says that you were raised with Him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised Him from the dead. That is to say... If you are a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, that if you have been buried with Christ in baptism, that you have been raised with Christ, Paul says this, we are raised with him through the instrument of faith. So are you trying to tell me I can't earn my salvation? Yes. Are you trying to tell me I can't purchase my salvation? Yes. Are you trying to tell me I can't believe in Jesus plus do something else to receive salvation? Yes. The only way... We come to God is by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Faith in the powerful working of God who raised Jesus from the dead. Now, here's the amazing thing, if that's not amazing enough. The same power, the same power that that raised Jesus from the dead. How dead was Jesus? He was deader than a doornail. He was deader than a doornail. The same power that raised Jesus from the grave is operating in every follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. Think about that for a minute. The same power that raised a corpse from the grave is now operative in every follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. Martin Lloyd-Jones helps us once again. He says, with this exceeding great power to us that believe... With this power of the resurrection already working in us, the vanquished rule of reign and the reign of sin can never possess us again. I talk to people from time to time. It's usually at Starbucks, my favorite place outside of the church, right? 
and Safeco Field, right? But I talk to people all the time at Starbucks who, who think that Christianity is a drag. That Christianity puts the handcuffs on you. I say nothing could be further from the truth. Christianity enables me to be free. It brings liberty. I no longer fear death. The sting of death is gone. My sins have been removed. My sins have been forgiven. All my sins in the past, all my sins I committed today, and all the sins I'll commit in the future. Is Christianity a drag? No, Christianity is the most exciting journey that anyone can ever embrace. See, you were raised with Christ if you were a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. Remember this, not only will you know now that when the baptismal candidate, when his or her head hits the water and they go under, they have been dipped. There's no doubt about that. Which suggests, which is a portrait that they have been buried with Christ, that they have been united with Christ. But when they raise, when they come out of the water, remember, we have been raised with Christ There's something that I see at every baptismal service that I've ever been a part of or been in the congregation watching. Let me ask you, what always happens when the baptismal candidate comes out of the water? And just shout it out. What happens? An eruption of applause. Very good, Sammy. Sammy. Samuel. An eruption of applause. So that will happen today, no question. But before you applause, before you give your applause, before you clap for your family member, before you clap for your friend, I want you to remember why you are clapping. I want you to remember what the applause is for. And let me suggest that you are not applauding the baptismal candidate because it's socially acceptable. You are not applauding just to show mere support. Rather, you are applauding the work of grace that has been wrought in the heart and the lives of your family member or friend. You are applauding because baptism is a portrait of what happened to each baptismal candidate when they were raised with Christ. They were united with Christ. They were raised with Christ, a vivid portrait of what happened when they received salvation. To close this morning, let me give you a few points of practical application. I pray that it will encourage you as we uh, conclude this section of the service today. Number one, since you were raised with Christ, and once again, this applies to every follower of Christ, since you were raised with Christ, you now have the ability to live victoriously. Did you know the second before you were a Christian, you had no ability to live victoriously? But you say, Pastor, you don't understand. I'm a self-made man. I'm a self-made woman. I'm a millionaire. You should see my portfolio. I'm not talking about portfolio. I'm not talking about being a self-made man. I'm talking about living victoriously. The second before you became a Christian, you had no power when temptation storms into your life. You have no power to do what's right to the glory of God. You have no power to worship God. But since you have been raised with Christ, now you can live victoriously. Number two, since you have been raised with Christ, you have the ability to walk in newness of life and live a holy life. One of the most exciting things for me is to watch new believers. 
Some of you are new believers at Christ Fellowship, and, and you already know my enthusiasm for you in your life, is you watch a new believer learn how to pray. You watch a new believer learn how to read the Bible and how to memorize the Bible. You watch a new believer learn theology. Nothing is more exciting than to see that. I have one friend, I didn't ask for his permission, but he sent me a text of a book that I had given him that had those little sticky notes, something that every person alive should have, right? Sticky notes, the greatest tool ever invented. And there were probably 30 or 40 sticky notes, all different colors and shades of color in this book, filled with notations and, and questions and, and explanation, ex, explanation points. That is exciting. When you were raised with Christ, you have the ability to walk in newness of life and in holiness of life. Number three, for those of you that are Christ followers, since the Spirit of God raised Christ from the dead, now you ought to walk in the power of the Spirit. Paul says as much in Galatians chapter 5, verse 5, or verse 16 rather. My prayer, Christ fellowship. And friends and guests at Christ Fellowship is that the evangelical identity crisis would end in your life today. Know this, and this is the truth point. This is what I want to have you take with you and wrestle with and mull over and meditate on. That you were buried with Christ in baptism. And you were raised with Christ so that you might live a new life to the glory of God. So the next time you are tempted, the next time you are faced with a choice to sin and find satisfaction in other things, remember this. Remember who I am in Christ. The next time you are faced with a decision where you're planning to take a, a turn for the worst and make a decision that will not honor and glorify the living God, remember who you are in Christ that you have been raised with Christ, that you might live a new life. I think the biggest thing on my heart this morning, outside of encouraging the baptismal candidates, is to say this, is if you are outside of Christ this morning, you are faced with a very, very serious choice. You are faced with a very serious identity crisis. For when you stand before the judgment seat of God, if your heart has not yet been made new, the Bible says that you will face the almighty wrath of God. If you have not been buried with Christ in baptism and raised with Christ, as Colossians 2 tells us, you will endure the almighty and infinite wrath of God. Your identity must be wrapped up in the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the one who paid the price for sinners. He is the one who provides the, the passport for heaven for anyone who repents of their sins and trusts in him. And here's the amazing thing, is the passport, you need to understand this morning, that is given to us by God. This is just a portrait of the spiritual passport you can receive. The passport is free. You know, I've purchased two passports in my adult life, and each time I paid more than $100 for a goofy little booklet with a really ugly picture inside. <laughs> Have you seen it? <laughs> Moi. But I had to pay for this passport. That's what the federal government requires that I do. The passport 
that can be yours in Christ is free. For by grace you have been saved through faith. Here's my question as we continue to worship and as the baptismal candidates come. Is your passport stamped? Is your passport ready to go? Will you accept the the free offer of salvation that comes by grace alone, through faith alone, and in Christ alone, all for the glory of God? May the evangelical identity crisis be solved in each of our hearts on this day. Let's pray. As we pray this morning, I want to invite the baptismal candidates to go ahead and make their way uh, to the back of the sanctuary, and we will um, engage in that part of the service. So, Father God, thank you for your word. Thank you for the great hope that we have in your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. I want to thank you for these eight individuals who... In just a few moments, we'll enter the waters of baptism, uh, giving us a vivid reminder of all that was accomplished when they placed faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. God, I pray that as each head hits the water, that you would remind us that every follower of Christ has been buried with Christ. And that as each person comes and emerges out of the water, that we would remember that followers of Christ have been raised with Christ, that the same power that raised Jesus from the grave is operative in every follower of Christ. Thank you, God, for giving us the ability and a new inclination to worship you, to love you, to serve people. Every time one of those things happens, we recognize that you are the one who received the glory. You are the one who received the honor. And my prayer is that each person who is baptized today, that once again, you would be glorified and your your people would be encouraged. For it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.